Um, anyway, we're going to go ahead and pick up uh, where we left off, and I do apologize for yesterday. Um, I've been trying to be faithful about uh, doing these every morning at 8 o'clock, um, you know, just a few verses at a time. And to be honest with you, I'm just studying it through a few verses at a time. I'm not that far ahead, if at all, sometimes. So, uh, but anyway, my apologies for Wednesday, for yesterday morning not being where I was supposed to be. Um, so, uh, today we'll just, uh, let's go ahead and open our Bibles to Acts chapter number 9. We're going to finish today. Uh, Acts chapter number 9, and um, <clears throat> let's get a little context here. Um, Acts 9, 26. Let's go ahead and drop in there. And... Um, this whole chapter is about the conversion of Saul um, when he came to believe that Jesus Christ was indeed the Messiah. Um, and we find in verse number one that he had went um, um, to uh, the leaders and uh, requested permission to go up to Damascus um, to go into the synagogues to drag out those who had believed the way, those who had followed Jesus Christ. Uh, remember, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said that he was the way, and the people that was following him were people who were following the way. And as he came to Damascus, uh, suddenly a bright light shone around about him. And, uh, of course, the Lord said, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And um, he said, I'm Jesus. Uh, why are you, why are you, uh, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. Uh, so this is, uh, Saul's conversion experience. And I've went over this before. I mean, this was the moment that Saul believed that Jesus Christ was who he said he was. He was the fulfillment of, of, of all of the messianic prophecies. Uh, and again, there's no, um, there's no altar call. There's no manipulating the lighting. Uh, Sister Ethel's not playing the piano, you know, Brother Bob on the organ. I mean, the only thing that happens here is that, you know, he's converted. Uh, now, of course, it's under the kingdom gospel, which means there was repentance followed by baptism, which was a requirement that is not a requirement today. Uh, I believe that belief and repentance are almost the exact same thing. I mean, you believe, obviously, um, once you believe, um, you, you repent in a way, in a sort, but I wouldn't tell, I wouldn't attach it to the gospel of grace, even though it may be a simultaneous event. Um, but you know, the gospel of grace is simply believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel of the kingdom was repent and be baptized. Of course, today we have taken those two and we have made them one gospel and they're not one gospel. And I believe that's exactly what the Apostle Paul was talking about in Galatians when he rebuked the Galatians, um, when he says, who, hath, who has bewitched you? Um, in other words, who had, you've taken these two gospels and you've combined them into one. And he said that uh, they had been bewitched, that they have created something that wasn't even a gospel at all. And I think we've done that in our churches, and I've talked to you about that before. Um, 
so let's uh, pick back up in the storyline here. Um, and then, of course, he is led to Ananias' house. And Ananias received a vision that Saul was coming. And the Lord told him he wanted him to pray over him. And, of course, he did. And Saul's blindness, his three days of blindness, was lifted. And he was baptized. And then immediately, <clears throat> and uh, Saul begins to, <clears throat> instead of persecuting <clears throat> those of the way in the synagogues of Damascus, he begins to preach Jesus in the synagogues of Damascus. And then they turn on him. <clears throat> and they begin to, they take counsel to kill him. And uh, they laid wait for him. And some of the disciples uh, snuck him out over a wall in a basket by night. And then Saul is in Jerusalem. And bear in mind, we talked about how there's a three-year period between the time that he left Damascus and the time that he arrived in Jerusalem. Um, <clears throat> all kinds of verses to substantiate that throughout the book of Galatians. Uh, we see that. And... Uh, and then, of course, he, he uh, essayed to join himself to the disciples. And, of course, they were afraid of him. And they didn't believe um, that he was truly a disciple now. And this is where Barnabas comes in. Barnabas and Paul developed a lifetime friendship. Barnabas, son of all encouragement. That's what his name means. Uh, <clears throat> he comes and he speaks on behalf of, of Saul uh, to the brethren. And... Um, <clears throat> And then, of course, we end up with the exact same thing. Uh, in Acts 9.29, he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed with the Grecians, but they went about to slay him. So again, um, they're, they're trying to kill him. And bear in mind, a lot of people were angry with Saul. Uh, he had probably you know, carried off their families, their friends, <clears throat> and eventually it led to their death. He was a hated man for obvious reasons. Um, so they sought to kill him. Um, and of course, the brethren, again, came to the rescue, knew what they were going to do, and they sent him forth to Tarsus. And of course, he was Saul of Tarsus, so they're actually sending him back home to Tarsus, Tarsus of Cilicia. And then down in verse number 31, that's where we ended up yesterday or Wednesday then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied now if you have any other translation of the Bible rather than other than just King James or a new King James because they both come off of the same underlying text but if you have an NIV NAS anything else you'll see that that word churches is singular. Now, then had the church rest throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. Um, but understand, it was churches at this point. These were Messianic Jewish fellowships. Uh, these were Jews, and Jews alone, unless they were proselytized Gentiles into Judaism, uh, these were Jewish fellowships who had, ex had accepted, embraced the kingdom gospel, which means they had repented and been baptized, and they were looking forward to the second coming of the Messiah. They were waiting for, or maybe thought they were already in, the tribulation period. 
Uh, understand, they knew Daniel 9 uh, better than probably 99% of the people I know today. Uh, they knew, uh, you know, Daniel Daniel 9, 27, speaking about 483 uh, years would be completed when the Messiah entered the gate and went to his crucifixion. So they thought they were going into the 490th a week or 400, yeah, four, uh, the 490 with the, to the final week of Daniel's 490 year prophecy. Um, but again, I think, uh, people take that word churches and make it singular because they think it's talking about the church, not only that church, but our church, it's all one church. Uh, again, I think some uh, theological bias is put in there, and, and make no mistake about it, there are, uh, there is theological bias in uh, translations of the Bible. There's some translations of the Bible that lean very heavily toward covenant theology, ESV, for example, um, uh, and there's some that you know, uh, lean toward water baptism, baptismal regeneration. Uh, again, I mean, there's bias that works its way into the translations. So there's bias there in regards to the singular church. Um, then look at verse 32. And it came to pass as Peter passed throughout all quarters, he came down also to the saints which dwelt at Lydda. So after the introduction of Saul, there's a brief shift back to Peter, who had visited the saints, which dwelt at Lydda. And I've shared this with you before, but the more I study it, the more I believe saints is a reference to Jewish believers, uh, not to the body of Christ. Now you do your own study there, but uh, if you look at some of the uh, epistle introductions of the Apostle Paul, he separates the saints uh, from other believers, from the bishops, from the elders, and the saints. He always kind of puts those saints over in the corner. Why is he doing that? I think he's referring to the Jewish believers. I'm, I'm becoming increasingly convinced of that every day. But you do your, home, your own homework. Don't believe it just because I told you. Uh, so Peter is visiting the saints which dwelt at Lydda. Uh, Peter is still preaching a kingdom gospel. Um, he is, and the only ones that embraced the kingdom gospel at this point were the Jews. That's to whom they were told to preach. They were told by the, our Lord himself, do not go into the way of the Gentiles. Um, so again, as far as we've seen, nothing but Jews. You cannot just insert Gentiles into these chapters without clearly display, displaying your bias. Just like those who would take churches and turn it into a singular church. On another note, even if Saul had, did receive the revelation of the mystery by this point, there is no indication of it. Again, we don't know when Saul received the revelation of the mystery that he talks about. And understand, Saul is the only one that received that revelation of the mystery. And some speculate that he might have received it in that three years between Damascus and when he went down into Jerusalem. Uh, I personally don't believe he received it during that period, but I do believe that he received it sometime there, shortly thereafter. Uh, and we've looked at some proof text in regards to that. So with that said, Paul, Saul, when he was converted, was preaching a kingdom gospel. 
He was not preaching the gospel of grace, for he did not know the gospel of grace. Now, some will say the kingdom gospel morphed into the gospel of grace. No, it didn't. There were two different things. Um, if you look at the council in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15, I mean, Peter and John said, you go with the gospel to the, um, to the uncircumcised and we'll take the, our gospel to, the, to those of the circumcision. Two different gospels. And then look at verse 33. <clears throat> and there he found a certain man named Aeneas, which had kept his bed eight years and was sick of the palsy. Um, and Peter said unto him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. Arise, make thy bed. And he arose immediately, and all that dwelt in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. The palsy was a disease that negatively affected the muscles, and so this man was unable to walk. And apparently it had only been for the past eight years. Um, as a result of the healing, many in Lydia and Sharon turned to the Lord. Uh, and when it says that, it means that they believed the kingdom gospel and became a part of the way. Um, many refer to those of the way as the little flock or Peter's little flock um, because of Luke twelve thirty two, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Those are Jesus's words in Luke twelve thirty two, He referred to those who would believe the kingdom gospel as the little flock. Uh, so this little flock was made up of Jews who had um, embraced the gospel, the kingdom, and were awaiting the second coming of Christ. Um, so a lot of times you might hear me call them or you'll read other commentators talk about the little flock. Um, that's what they're talking about. Because the whole comparison of sheep and all that is referring to the nation of Israel. Um, is there um, some application? Sure. But the primary principle interpretation is Israel. Look in verse 36. Now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. Now Joppa was a small port town uh, close to Lydda. Joppa is pretty famous. Uh, Jonah um, went down to Joppa and he found a ship. So it's a port town. Ezra talks about Joppa. They, they brought cedar trees from Lebanon to the Sea of Joppa. And then we even see, see it over in Chronicles. The, the trees that were purchased out of Lebanon were brought through the sea to Joppa, carried up to Jerusalem for the building of the temple. So Joppa was a little port town near Lydda. Uh, the name Tabitha, which by interpretation is Dorcas, the name means doe or gazelle. Uh, beautiful name. And then look at verse 37. And it came to pass in those days that she was sick and she died. And when they had washed and laid her in the upper chamber, and for as much as Lydda was nigh to Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent unto him two men desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. Then Peter arose and went with them, and when he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber, and all the widows stood by him, weeping and showing the coats and the garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. 
a lot of Baptists have like a Dorcas class, uh, which is normally older ladies. Uh, I'm sure they didn't start out that way, but uh, a lot of times uh, quilting societies, things like that, uh, were in the church as the women, and they just called them the Dorcas class. I, I've I've uh, I've been I've I've seen several of those in my ministry, uh, and then verse forty. But Peter put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed and turned him to the body, turned him to the body, said Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, presented her alive. And it was known throughout all of Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And it came to pass that he tarried many days in Joppa with one Simon the Tanner. So in these verses, Peter raises Dorcas from the dead. And again, we see this pattern over and over and over. Miracles followed by a presentation, followed by belief. Um, uh, again, the Jews demand a sign, the Greeks demand wisdom. Um, no one can honestly say that God works this way today. Um, this was simply a different dispensation. This was a supernatural outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And the whole purpose of that outpouring of the Holy Spirit was to give signs and wonders that the nation of Israel would believe that Jesus was indeed their long-awaited Messiah. So we just do not live <clears throat> under this dispensation today. Uh, for many years in my ministry, I went back and forth and I struggled with all that. But when you rightly divide um, and you separate uh, Israel's prophetic program from the church's mystery program you you come to understand very quickly those two programs are unique those two programs are different those two programs are for two different places two different people going to two different places uh, Israel's prophetic program which was prophesied spoken of all throughout the Old Testament spoke of a Messiah that would, would come and give a kingdom uh, to the nation of Israel. The kingdom is for the nation of Israel, only to the nation of Israel. The church, the body of Christ, has nothing to do with the kingdom. Our promises are heavenly. They are not earthly. Uh, their promises is fulfillment of the Davidic, the Abrahamic, Palestinian covenants, which we have no part of. Yeah, we may get some fruit from that. We may get some blessings from that. But we are not a covenant people. God's covenants was not made with the body of Christ. It was made with the nation of Israel. And when you start realizing that and you start separating that out in Scripture, things that have been gray become black and white very quickly. Pentecost has everything to do with the nation of Israel and zero to do with the body of Christ. Um, it was for the nation of Israel. Uh, it was so that they would turn, repent, be baptized, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, the Lord would return, use them as priests, kings and priests unto the nations. Um, that was plan A. But plan A was, uh, was postponed because of Israel's unbelief. And then God raised up the Apostle Paul, gave him the gospel of grace which he took to the Gentiles. 
And today you and I are in the body of Christ. And when you begin to understand that, and we call that right division, rightly dividing, dispensationalist, we believe God's the same, but the way God dispenses his grace throughout time has changed. The way God dispensed his grace to the nation of Israel is different than the way God dispenses his grace to the body of Christ. It, it makes life so many so much easier so but anyway god bless you guys i've taken too much of your time already but uh, we have got through chapter number nine and next week monday we'll get into chapter number 10 and we're going to be introduced to a certain centurion by the name of cornelius and something strange is going to happen peter is going to take the kingdom gospel to a gentile and we're going to talk about that and the significance of that next week. Well, God bless you guys. I hope that you have a great 4th of July weekend celebrating with your family. We continue to pray for our nation. and uh, But I pray that you have an awesome weekend. And always remember, God loves you, wants the best for you. He's working all things out for your good.